Hello, adventurers! Welcome to Hyperborean Wonderland, the most fun place in all of the land. Uh, we're actually trying to get away from these thugs. We have to recover the talisman. Oh, that's great. Then why don't you uh, come over here to the medieval zip line and you can ride it down to the other side of the cliff. Oh, that sounds useful. It looks a little dangerous, though. No, no, it has been engineered to the strongest possible standards. You do look pretty strong. <laughs> yes, I make them all myself, and I test each and every ride. I don't know if we have time for this. We, we're trying to go on a quest. You two seem awfully stressed out. Maybe you could come over to the mill ride and push the giant mill for a few hours? Wait, that a mill is a ride? Wait, we don't have time for that. <laughs> no, no, it's great. It really helps you relieve all of your stress. You look like you've pushed that mill around for a while. Let me tell you, if there's one thing I know, it's milling and killing. Huh? What? Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel, here with my mighty co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a magnificent sword that has multiple edges on it. Don't worry, it's fantasy. <laughs> don't all swords have multiple, or don't many swords have multiple edges? This has... So many edges, it's hard to comprehend. Terrifying. Yes. But I am epic. Well, that's all that really matters. Yeah, that is pretty epic. Me? I'm Jack Olander, a screaming mole person that lives naked in the depths of the city of eternal darkness. I've never seen sunlight <laughs> or heard language. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's pretty oh epic. Oh my god. <laughs> that sounds... Like, a lot. There are many edges in my life as well. <laughs> Would you say you're an edge lord, then? Yes. I was born in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that is a lot to process. <laughs> you're telling me. <laughs> well, now that you're here on the surface world with light and sound and music and, like, pictures... What's your favorite part about being up here? Well, I don't get to shriek as much as I do in the darkness. But uh, I'd have to say my favorite thing is probably art so far. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's just, you know, I wish there were more of it in this barbaric land. I wish I knew how to support artists. You know, I'm really glad you brought that up. Oh, that yeah. There is a way that you can support the artists that you love. That's right. And one of those ways is you can go to patreon.com slash swords and satire, take a look at the different tiers for supporting this very podcast, and if any of them look like something that you'd be interested in, you can set up a monthly payment to us, your favorite artists and creators. Yeah, that and, sounds great. And you get some awesome bonus episodes, and you can vote on movies that we're going to watch every month. That sounds awesome, guys. Yeah, it's super cool. All the cool kids are doing it. So, you know, you listeners, too, can also go to patreon.com 
slash sword and satire and check it out. But hey, enough of the really important bookkeeping. <laughs> Guys, this week we are celebrating two years of Swords and Satire. Awesome. And it's amazing. <laughs> very cool. It, it is amazing that we have managed to keep making these in spite of everything. Yeah. In spite of pandemics, adversity, um, Fire, locusts, murder hornets. I don't know. What are the kids talking about these days? Not water. No Not, water. No water at all. Yeah, I mean, this movie reminded us of how much water used to exist on this planet, and we just don't see it anymore. Yeah, but I am excited that we've made it this far, and uh, sometimes it's the only thing that keeps me going. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we better keep doing it. Yeah. So, as we... Always do on our anniversaries until we run out of these movies. We're doing another Robert E. Howard based movie. Yeah. We started the show with Conan the Barbarian. Our one year anniversary with Conan the Destroyer. And now we're doing Conan the Red Sonia. <laughs> which I believe is the third canonical movie in the franchise. I just have to say real quick, I don't want to derail us too much, but I was so confused when Schwarzenegger was not Conan. <laughs> when they were calling Conan Kalidor, it really confused you, right? Yeah. He was Lord Kalidor in this, and the the actress that played Valeria, his like compatriot and love interest in the first Conan movie, she played a different character in this movie, too. She played Queen Gedrin. Chelsea just had all kinds of questions, just looking at the film mouth agape. It, it was confusing. She's like, where's Subo Tai, my favorite character from the first movie? Yeah. Now that is a good question to ask. But, you know, if people haven't seen the film in a while, they probably need a little reminder about what happens. So I think Chelsea has a summary ready to go, complete with accurate character names that are not th these actors' names from the Conan film. That's right. And let's get into it. Wow, that's the most concise and accurate summary I've ever seen written out beforehand. I actually did write it beforehand. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, let's start out with the villain. We have Queen Gedrin. Good place to start. Yeah. Queen Gedrin, she wants to rule the world. Now, the whole world? And nothing but the world. I've heard everybody wants to do that. I've heard that too. And uh, she wants to get this thing called the Talisman to do it. Okay. She has a mighty army. People quake before her. But she thinks that the <laughs> Talisman... <laughs> will actually help her realize her dreams to blow up the whole goddamn world with this thing. What, I thought you said she wanted to rule the world. Potato, potato. Okay. Ruling, destroying, what's the difference in the end of the day? Look at the people who rule our world and how they're destroying it. Maybe this movie's smarter than I first thought. So she takes her army, she yoinks the talisman from the holy... Uh, resting place. The clerical 
place of the temple of the, <laughs> temple. the people. That's the word. The temple of the people. That, temple. <laughs> that was one hell of a yoink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they um relieved the priestesses of their lives in the process. <laughs> oh, that was nice of that. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. One escaped named Varna, and she happens to be the sister of somebody named Red Sonia. So Varna's sister is named Red Sonia. So, but her name is not Red Varna, even though she also has red hair? No, but that's how you know they're sisters. Now, hold on a second, though. We, we, we didn't talk about the extreme misandry that the talisman exhibits. That's right. And we can get into all of the lore about the talisman in a bit. But it is true that the talisman can only be handled by women. And we'll get into the symbolism of that in, the little, in a little bit. And uh, remind me what happens to men who touch the talisman. They become a green glowing skeleton and then disappear. Classic. <laughs> I'm just imagining the cast and crew working on this. So it's like, oh, so like when he touches it, like it's going to be like some big thing. There's going to be like lasers and everything, right? Oh, no, he's just going to like poof and then be gone. But like in a puff of smoke. No, nope, just gone. <laughs> One second. Just gone. Yep. He's green and gone. Yeah. Green yeah. and gone. Exactly. It's just simpler that way. <laughs> So, Varna is fatally wounded when she's trying to escape Lord Kalidor, a.k.a. Conan. Um, <laughs> you can't! You can't. <laughs> um, tries to help her escape. She tells him to go find her sister, Red Sonia. And he, she gets to ride the medieval zipline before she dies, so that's true. a plus. But that how that's how she's killed, because the guards that are pursuing her shoot her in the back with an arrow. But she's a complete badass. After getting hit in the back with an arrow, she still holds on to the medieval zipline. Yeah. Very impressive. She has an important message to deliver. Conan, I mean, Lord Calidor <laughs> finds Red Conador. Sonia. <laughs> finds Red Sonia in another kingdom, they ride back to Varna, get there right before she passes away. Excellent timing. And Varna gives Red Sonia the mission to retrieve the talisman from the evil Queen Gedrin and save the world because Queen Gedrin is going to destroy the world. She wants to rule the world, but the talisman is so powerful that it's going to cause destruction wherever it goes. One might think that these aims are in opposition to each other, but not Gedrin. Yeah. She's cool with it. Um, so Red Sonia goes off on the quest. She doesn't want any help from no man. So she rejects Lord Kalidor's assistance. She runs into Prince Tarn and his faithful servant Falcon in the destroyed city of Hadblock on her way to Queen Gedrin's stronghold. She doesn't want the help of a big beefy man, but a kid and his manservant? Sure, why not? Yeah, initially she, like, leaves them be because the kid's annoying and uh, he's all entitled and everything. Yeah, I mean, he's a prince, so, like, pfft, what a dick. And uh, she doesn't really like the company of menfolk because, you know... She's had bad experiences in the past. Which we will not cover in detail here. Yeah. But she has her reasons, and they're good ones. Yep. 
Oh, I forgot to mention that she was given supernatural strength by a spiritual ally in the past. Was she, though? I guess. It was, she was given supernatural vagary from a, <laughs> from a spiritual being in well, the Well, the spirit being told her it was strength. Sure. Maybe it was just one of those things, like, if I tell her that she's, like, unstoppable, she'll just go with it and, like, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy Well, and all I think that. that came with the confidence to not give a fuck about what anybody else thought about her, and so that's where she gets her swagger from. Nice. Yeah. The real strength was the unstoppable power that was in us all along. Yeah. So Sonia took off before Kalidor could, like, explain what his role in all of this is. He shows up a couple times. But I'm the most famous actor in the film. (laughs) Yeah. He shows up a couple times to help her get out of a few scraps, a few skirmishes. Literally. And um, she's like, hey, this guy isn't so bad. And eventually she lets him tag along and help her out. He's a bit of a himbo. Yeah. And that's when he reveals that he's Lord Kalidor. He was entrusted with destroying the talisman so that its power would not destroy the world. And she's like, oh, sorry, I guess I should have waited for you to finish your sentence before I took off. Yeah, but Sonya's not really a wait for anything type of person. Yeah, it's true. But she had a little learning moment right there. So... Sonia and Kalidor, along with Prince Tarn and Falcon, make their way to Gedrin's stronghold. And it's the city of eternal darkness because it's all indoors. <laughs> it's the city of no natural light. They don't like windows, okay? They but they pre- have a lot of candles. They prefer their candles. Yeah. <laughs> they get Prince Tarn to stand guard outside, but they make him feel really important for doing it. And that was cute because uh, he's a kid. But they want him to feel important like he's a member of the team. He's also a pretty badass kung fu warrior, too. He like, is, in his own right. He's a warrior. What uh, he lacks in reach, he makes up for in drive. That's right. They wander around the labyrinthian interior of this stronghold, eventually finding Queen Gedrin's antechamber. And Sonia confronts her, saying that she needs to... Release the talisman and stop this conquest because it's going to destroy the world. Queen Gedrin don't give a shit about that. She just wants everything to burn. Yep. I, you know, some women just want to watch the world burn, Master Wayne. And she <laughs> she and Sonya have a history. Queen Gedrin was attracted to Sonya. She seems like she has another maidservant that is kind of like her girlfriend there. Or her consort. Oh, Yeah. That's nice. And, uh... I'm sure that works out well for everybody, (laughs) right? She also has a sorcerer who helps her out in her royal chambers there. I would say he's more of a stoner sorcerer. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. So he helps Queen Gedrin have some tricks, magical tricks, to fool Sonya when they're having their final confrontation, but... Sonia eventually figures it out because Queen Gedrin, like, gives it away. Oh, just kill the wizard. Easy peasy. She, she relieves him of his head. <laughs> he wasn't using oh, how, it. Wait, re- what? He wasn't really using it anyway. <laughs> um, he was casting spells. <laughs> and she corners Gedrin, but Prince Tarn runs in, kind of puts a little foible in this plan. Gedrin gets a hold of him and takes him back to 
the secret room where they're holding the talisman with a bunch of candles because it's charged by light. They have a final showdown in there with the help of Lord Calidor and Falcon cheering them on from the other side of a, a, a grate that went over the door. You know, guys, girls are doing it for themselves in this final fight. Good point. And the whole room and the whole castle is being torn apart by the power of the talisman. So the the room opens up and there's lava beneath them and they're fighting over it. And finally, Sonia gets the better of Gedrin and she topples in and so does the talisman and they both explode in the pit of lava. Oh, the magical fantasy MacGuffin needs to be thrown into the pit of lava to destroy it, huh? Interesting. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Yeah, just completely new. Never done before. Haven't heard of it on our podcast anyway. That's right. If it hasn't happened on the podcast, it hasn't happened in film. (laughs) So the rest of the team makes it all out. There's a moment where they think Prince Tarn is going to be trapped when he helps them open the door. But then they they just help him out and they all get away. So at the end, Lord Conador um, (laughs) kind of says to Sonya, you know, maybe you'll let me woo you someday and best you in battle to be my wife it's it's a bit cringe and she's like maybe i will this time because they've already had a um let's see what do we call it a seduction fight earlier in the movie (laughs) yeah but he calls her out for it we'll talk about that later and um yeah then prince tarn is like oh let's leave these guys to their own kissing falcon and we leave off on the movie with lord conador and red sonia Kissing as the camera pans out into the distance. Hot? Muscular. (laughs) Yes. That's the word I was looking for. Wow, what a concise summary. Perfect. Why don't we head to the Delve? Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Red Sonia. Now, we all have a lot of questions about this movie, but I know Chelsea's got some burning questions that she's just dying to ask. Yes. So, I have two big questions, yeah. And I think that they are related, so I think I'm going to ask them together and we could kind of suss them out. Who and why? But um, I don't know if we're going to be able to answer them, but we can do our best. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, people don't listen to podcasts to answer questions, right? <laughs> so here, here we go. Number one, is this movie feminist or not? Oh, God. And number two, is it homophobic or does it support queer characters? Interesting so- questions. <laughs> I want to suss them out because I saw throughout the movie that based on the text of the film, you could interpret it a few different ways for each question. So I wanted to kind of explore that. I think I want to answer your last question first. Okay, let's do it. I mean, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I can answer it, but I don't see much in the text. That would say it's supportive of queer folk. So, um, we didn't totally, we just kind of glanced over this in the summary. Let's, like, 
suss out why I ask. Sure. So Queen Gedrin is portrayed as being a lesbian. But or, she, or at the least, she's attracted to women. Or, or bi. Yeah, or yeah. Um, we okay. don't know exactly her preference. No, but she's she's attracted to women, okay? Yeah. But she's also the villain, and she's portrayed as being insane. And just for the record, this movie does get quite a bit of criticism for this reason. Right. Possibly deserved. But Jack kind of made me think about it, because as we were watching, he pointed out a really important thing. Yeah. Uh, they never actually make the queen seem bad for being attracted to women. It's just one of her motivations. Yeah. And Sonia is never upset with the queen for the queen's attraction to her. She's upset about the queen killing her family. And her entitlement and trying to force herself upon yeah. Sonia. Yeah, there's a... There's some implication that Gedrin just kind of wants to take whatever she wants. And in the beginning of the movie, what she wants is Sonia. She's attracted to her. And she says later on when Sonia confronts her that she had Sonia's family killed because Sonia retaliated by cutting her face. Right. So there's a bit of vanity here. Mm-hmm. But also the entitlement that comes with uh, being a royal, I guess. Gedrin's yeah. a queen, mm-hmm. so used to getting things her way. She's in power. She Nobody like... tells her no. Exactly. Usually. Which yeah. is a big problem for people. When you never hear no, you start to get, you know, a lot of people end up with some weird uh, quirks of behavior. Yeah. However, one thing I thought was interesting about uh, the queen's advance on Sonya was she offered to have Sonya rule by her side. Sure. And, like, command her armies and stuff. Which I thought that was a really interesting proposition. Yeah, but Sonya doesn't really go in for this whole hierarchical thing. She's more of an egalitarian, it seems like. She does not trust nor acknowledge authority. Like, ever. Yeah. The closest she comes is developing a kind of begrudging admiration for Prince Tarn because he's kind of a cute kid. And under all of the entitled swagger, he actually is a nice kid. Yeah. Once she gets him to drop the act. Yeah, it's true. So you're saying she's read Sonya because she's a communist. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She might be more of into like the meritocracy thing. I'm not sure. I can see that. I could see her being a Napoleon type. She She does prefer flat hierarchies, I think. It's true. But when it comes to the queer angle, I can see it being negative because a lot of times when queer people are portrayed in media, they are portrayed as villainous. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly the problem and why I thought we should ask the question. Yeah, I think the issue is that there's not a spectrum of queer characters in this film. Right. There is one queer character who is the overt villain, who is also a megalomaniac that wants to destroy the world, and then everyone else is aggressively straight, it seems. Yeah. I mean, there is her handmaiden, who's like her girlfriend. Yeah, but there's no development of that relationship. We're kind of inferring this from just some kind of hints throughout the film. Yeah. 
But they're not best friends. I'm telling you that. <laughs> sure. Um, that's, that's not what I'm saying. What we do see from that character is that she's loyal. Sure. Admirable. Uh, I guess loyalty to an insane um, doom-bringing queen is admirable. Wait a minute. Hold on. We I don't know if I like the implication that I'm creating here. Yeah. I think they didn't think about it too much when they were writing it, and we can't really read too much into it as a result. It's hard. Yeah, I fear that, especially for 1985, there was an intentionality of having the villain be attracted to Sonya, and that was supposed to be a shorthand for, oh yeah, this character's super evil. Yeah, uh, queer-coded villains was a famous trope in the movies that I think we're still trying to move away from. Yeah, definitely. Now, I also think that I could see where some audiences might see a character like Queen Gedron and be like, hell yeah, she's awesome. Like, it doesn't matter that she's the villain, right? Lots of people love a good villain. And she's a pretty fucking charismatic villain in this movie. The different readings come from, if you're looking at the movie from an outside perspective, and then if you're looking at this character from an internal perspective of the world inside the movie. Sure. And so within the world, she is not seen as diminished for being queer. Right. True. So that's where I see there's room for different interpretations. Absolutely. I mean, I actually, I mean, if if we can just kind of look at it in holistically with the other movies we've watched, I think Queen Gedron might be one of the best villains we've ever had. Like, at least some of the interesting stuff about her. She's got a great charisma. Yeah. She has an amazing stage presence, this commanding theatrical performance. Yeah, well, that's Sandal Bergman for you. Well, yeah, absolutely. Very true. And Sandal Bergman turned down the role of Sonya to play Queen Gedron. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. I know. I think that she wanted the chance to kind of stretch her legs and play a villain. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be so much fun to just eat all the scenery as a great villain like Queen Gedron. Mm -hmm. She might have also wanted to play Gedron because of the queer representation. Hard to say. Possible, yeah. (laughs) Who can say? It's conjecture. But I, I could see it as a good motivation. Yeah, true. The other part of your question was whether the movie was feminist. Right. It certainly is overtly addressing feminism. Yes. What was interesting about Sonia, okay? She is portrayed as being strong, not only in physical strength, but also in her willpower. She doesn't need... Take any shit. Yeah, but she also doesn't need a man to legitimize her or her abilities. The reason that the men around her don't know what to do with her whenever they try to, like, impose traditional female gender roles onto her, she doesn't acknowledge it and they don't know what to do because she acts in a way where she doesn't care if they like her or not. Right. She's not trying to win any popularity contests. She's not trying to entice them in any way. The framing of the movie is interesting because... In some ways, this 
portrayal of Red Sonia is less sexualized than the comic portrayals of her. Even though she was in a scantily clad, practically bikini jumpsuit thing. Yeah. I with a like a little skirt that barely covered her ass. I was saying while we were watching it, even so, I didn't feel like it was a sexualized outfit. Like Yeah, it kind of isn't. It was strange. She's so muscular. That <laughs> I was just like, oh, that's not her butt, that's her flanks. <laughs> <laughs> you have to acknowledge that Conan is often more naked than Red Sonia. It's Maybe not true. in this movie. He's got like the whole pants uh, and tunic thing. That was but... Lord Calador. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know how I could possibly conflate the two. Yeah. They're both in Hyperborea, I guess. That's yeah. probably what it is. True. And yeah, it's just traditional Hyperborean garb. It's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that there's no tantalization intended by the filmmakers. Right. But it just doesn't have the same kind of like, it doesn't feel as male gazy as a lot of female characters in other movies we've talked about. Yeah, when there are characters that do, they symbolize the male gaze for sure. Like with Brytag and his gang. He wants to assume that she will sleep with him to, for passage. She offered to pay coin. Right. And She's like, I am a, a person of commerce and violence. Yeah. Those are the two transactions that I'm ready to take. And she said, you know, if we get into a fight, you're basically going to die. <laughs> and of course, he's like, oh, but you're a woman. Like, you can't fight me. This is me citing as Brightag. So, and he talks about himself in the third person. Real, real brilliant dude. <laughs> hey, um, wait, don't talk about The Rock like that. <laughs> but um, at one point during their fight, which they do have a fight after that, of course. Yeah. Um, she kicks his ass. She is a warrior. She's kicking his ass. At one point, she stumbles back onto the bed he had been laying on, and he's leering at her. Oh, gross. Yeah. It was very cringe, but she did not react to it at all. No, she didn't play those fucking games. She just kipped up and started going right back to fighting him. She doesn't acknowledge his attempt to objectify her. Right. Yeah, this is why I feel like this film is kind of situated in a very interesting intersection of feminism because in so many ways, Red Sonia just rejects gender roles at all. Yeah. She really doesn't care about anybody's perception about her. She's really past it all. There's another great example of this. When she meets Prince Tarn and she helps save him, he just witnessed her incredible strength that she used to help save him from a, like a bubbling pit of ooze. And he's like, oh, you should join my court. You can be my cook. He's just assuming because she's a woman. Right. And she's like, you know what, Falcon? What you need to do with him is take him over your knee and give him a good spanking. <laughs> like she, no, I, I don't necessarily condone no, that as no, an approach no, to child rearing. No, but. no, no, no. But this is her complete disregard for the gender roles that others tried to impose upon her. and. Her disregard for authority and her contempt for authority. That's what I read it more as, but yeah. Yeah, so I would say that in a, in a lot of ways, this is a feminist film in that it rejects gender roles for the main character. 
Definitely. And if I was going to point out a very feminist part of the movie, it was where she was with, like, a martial clan practicing sword fighting. Right. She is in the middle of a duel with a very acclaimed sword fighter, and she wins. And the master of the, like, martial clan is like, you've surpassed us all. What can I say? Yeah. You've become the master of the master. Pick out your sword. You're one of the gang. Yeah. Right? He doesn't make a big deal about her being a woman or anything. It's just yeah. like, you're the best. Like, you get all the accolades for being the best. And I think the warrior that she bested either bows to her or shakes her hand or something like that. Yeah. Some sign of respect. Yeah. Uh, as an equal. Yeah. I mean, this is, but again, this is, I feel like this is a feminist movie because it is about gender equality. Yeah. And her skill as a warrior. The one part that really makes it a little iffy to me is Lord Calador's role in the film. Yes, I, I agree. I was thinking of that. He I think come, you're right. Like, one of Red Sonia's flaws is that she completely doesn't trust men in general. She has a disdain for them. We understand why she got to this point, but it's to a degree that's unhealthy for her progress. Yes. And... They foil that view that she has by having Lord Calador come to her assistance several right. times. And I use that word flexibly because sometimes it seems like he's coming to her rescue. And we all need to be rescued sometimes. And that is what the movie is trying to show. Like, you think you're so badass? Well, you can't do this on your own. It's like challenging this idea of radical independence that sometimes you need help from friends or allies. I, I kind of thought. It's true. I feel like that might be feminist in a way because it's doing that gender equalization thing you just said where it's like, hey, Sonia, you're a badass. And he's, and yeah, he's a man, but also you can't do it on your own. Right. Right. Being a badass woman doesn't solve it, just like being a badass man doesn't solve it. Right. Yeah. Doing yeah. anything on your own, no matter what your gender is, um, would be difficult. I feel mm -hmm. like he usually doesn't show up to rescue her so much as he shows up to even the odds. Yeah. Like when she's fighting Brightag's army. Yeah. There's just too many. I mean, it's just a numbers game at that point. One person against 30? No way. Two people against 30? Now we're talking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when they're Calador and Sonya? Probably. Yeah. Yeah? No, you make a good point. It just seemed a little sketchy, and then there's the romance. Yeah. Yes. We it. had to get to that, so. Yeah. It was bound to happen. We were going to get to this um, weird road. I didn't mind the way they introduced the romance, where Kalidor is like, hey, I'm actually the lord who's entrusted with destroying this talisman that you're after. That's why I'm following you. And she's like, oh, well, that's pretty cool. I thought you had ulterior motives. He's like, well there, kiddo. You're right. I, I also do. I think you're pretty hot, right? And she's like, oh, well, that's kind of cringe. Yeah, and she's like, I will only, basically, I'll only date the guy that can best me in battle. And he calls her out for that. Well, before that happens, he forces a kiss upon, well, he goes in to kiss her and she kisses him back, but it's a real, it's, there's clear hesitation. Okay. Mm, yeah. And then she cuts off the kiss and says, hey, 
you have to kill me before you kiss me. He's just like, uh, uh we'll see. He was basically like, there's something wrong with that logic. I don't want to try to harm you if I'm interested in being with you. Yeah. Which makes I don't sense. even know if Sonya, like, anything about that type of relationship, I feel like she has so little regard for it. She just thinks that there's nothing wrong with her logic. Also, the other part of that point of view is she doesn't like men specifically because they have overpowered her in the past. Right. Yeah. Why would her preferred man overpower her? This is a very good question. But see, she cannot be bested in battle because of the supernatural strength she has. So she, this is just her way of saying, I'm never going to be with somebody because she doesn't expect anyone to actually best her. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. Yeah, so I guess there is an issue where she does kind of start to become like flirtily interested in Kalidor kind of throughout the movie that kind of throws, I think, a lot of that interesting part of the story where she's like oh i can say only a man who can best me in battle would be my mate because nobody's ever going to beat me in battle but then at the end she's making out with calador yeah and i think that it really does muddy the more interesting part of the message right by the end of the movie which is very common in films all i mean i was going to say in the 80s this is still common to this day yeah they have to shoehorn in a romance I really wish they hadn't, I think. I would have preferred the movie without any of the romantic implication about, like, it had just been Sonya just rejecting this completely out of hand. Like we say so often, to your point, I just wish they could have gotten to the point where they were friends and she saw, like, oh, I can befriend a male character. Yeah. A male. I can befriend a man. Yeah. <laughs> we can be equals. Yeah. We can be buds. And Kalidor could have been like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Now, I do want to point out something a little behind the scenes here. Arnold was actually pissed at the director, or, I'm right. sorry, at the producer for wanting to make Kalidor like central and to give Arnold top billing for this movie. Because this is not Lord Kalidor's movie. This is Sonya's movie. And in still in the posters, Arnold's name came first. And he's... The largest figure on the poster. He's not central, but he is larger than life. Looming over one. Red Sonia. Sure. But I, I have to give it to Arnold if it's true, if this story is true, for pushing back against that. Yeah. Now, at the end of the day, marketing and all that kind of does what they will do. But it gave me a little... Again, assuming the story is true, gave me a little more respect for Arnold for being aware that... He doesn't need to be the top build actor in everything he's in. Like even at this point, this is literally the height of his stardom. Nineteen eighty-five. Yeah. He's coming off of Conan. He's coming off of Terminator. I guess no. I'm sorry. This isn't the height. I'm sorry. This is like the beginning of his rise. Right. He hasn't hit T two yet. That's in the nineties. <laughs> We're not like at that weird dip that starts with True Lies and all that. But he's coming up. And he has a self-awareness that he doesn't have to be the star of every movie he's in. Right. I respected that. I wish that Dino De Laurentiis, the producer, 
and whatever the marketing team was had respected Arnold's wishes and given Brigitte Nielsen her deserved headlining role of this movie that's literally got her character's name as the title of the film. Dude, she is a beast. She's tall and super muscular. I was just Six like one. Holy shit, she's taller than him. When they were fighting, she had to like hunch over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was impressive. She did great store uh, sword work in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. They really did some crazy sword spin. Yeah, I nice was like, twirling. She can be my bodyguard any day. <laughs> she also did a lot of acrobatics. I don't know if that was literally her, but I feel like I could be wrong, but like the kip up, I think was her. Yeah. It really looked like her. She I mean, it, yeah. they might she might have had a, a really good uh, stunt double who looked a lot like her, but also, I feel like she did a ton of the action herself. Yeah, yeah. In a lot of the fighting scenes, you could clearly see her face. Yeah. Ooh. And I respect the hell out of that, of course. She did one of those things where when you're on the ground, you push up above your shoulders and just kick up into the air. That's the kip up. But yeah, the kip up. Yeah. But she did it like by barely touching the ground with her hands. It was almost yeah. like entirely core and legs. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag life goals. Yeah. <laughs> totally. She she actually looks like the Giga Chad meme gender swapped. So it's incredible. <laughs> nice. So mad respect to Brigitte for yeah. this film. Yeah. And she actually it was kind of unholy, but at the same time. She could really pull off that mullet, man. I think. Yeah, no joke. The fact that she had like some kind of like tiara crown thing on might have helped, but yeah, the the barbarian tiara, yeah, like leather tiara. Yeah, people underestimate how good head ornaments actually look. They it's can tie true. outfits together. I'm they not really talking can. hats. All right. Well, I'm talking circlets, crowns, tiaras. Mm -hmm. Look into it, people. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Because you need a confidence that comes with wearing it to pull it off. Are you wearing a crown? Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> right on. <laughs> so we talked about Queen Gedrin's love life. <laughs> but... Yike. <laughs> I think we need to delve deeper into her moral... And economic philosophies. Gee, Chelsea, it sure sounds a lot like you're talking about class struggle. Oh, shit. I think you're right. Now, I gotta say... I was very pleased with this movie for representing a positive spin on flat hierarchies and really pointed out how the upper classes are usually diluted at best and exploitative and megalomaniacal at worst. Yeah, like all of those in power seem to be completely oblivious to the people and things going on around them. Right. So, for example, when Sonya meets Prince Tarn, Tarn is a young prince, maybe eight, nine years old. No, I think he's like 12. 13, 14, 22. <laughs> I, don't do, I don't note age. I don't see age. He's talking about how he's this great prince and his kingdom is going to be in 
you know, it's going to come back and all this. And Sonya sees through all the bullshit. She, as the audience viewpoint character, is like, you've got nothing, kid. You've got no power. You can't tell me what to do. I don't give a shit about your title, about who you think you are. To me, you are just a child. She has no respect for people who would have any authority. And he's completely deluded, like you said, to the state of his own kingdom and literally ruins. He's the lord of ruins. Like his authority doesn't mean much anymore anyway. His and again, ar- he's he, a cute kid. He said himself that his army's all deserted him. Right. But he's like, oh, but I'm going to be so powerful. I've got Falcon here, who I'm abusing, my yeah. manservant, who I'm literally, like, pushing him around. And and even Falcon, like, knows that this is all a farce. Yeah. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I gotta, like, kiss the ring once in a while, but I can kind of do whatever I want. And But he's really the caretaker of the prince. He cares for him. He does. And, you know, Tarn isn't a bad kid. He's a terrible king. Yeah. Or prince or whatever. Ruler. When Sonya finally gets through and gets him to drop the act, he's actually a pretty nice dude. Yeah. Little dude. Yeah. I like Tarn, Mm -hmm. but I also liked how Sonya just completely disregards authority. And it's like, I don't care about hierarchy. doesn't matter to me. Nobody's better than me unless they can prove themselves to be better than me. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we've got Queen Gedrin, lunatic monarch who literally wants to destroy the world. She wants to dominate over everyone. Everybody that she has conquered, she has turned into slaves. Yep. Not a sustainable model, by the way, no. as we see in our own uh, real world timeline, that these powerful individuals who literally want to use a scorched earth approach and don't care if they actually devastate our world beneath us and have nothing to rule over but ash all she but wants still to, just grab for that power all she wants to do is own everything all the wealth and all the land she does you're right she doesn't care if it's torn apart in the process she would be happy just knowing that she had one over everyone. Guys, remember when 80s villains seemed like these crazy, like, impossibly evil caricatures? And then you go back to these movies and go, huh, yeah, no, and it turns out that this is what evil really looks like in real life. And they're called billionaires. Thank you. (laughs) So, yeah, so much of this movie is a critique of symbolic power. Mm -hmm. Because symbolic power can be legitimate power in some regards, but if there's nothing backing it up, if there's nothing supporting it, you need to have, it needs to be replaced with action. Prince Tarn isn't accomplishing anything by sitting in his literal ruined throne room trying to order Falcon around. Prince Tarn accomplishes something that matters when he sets out with Sonya to speak truth to power. Right. In this case... By fighting back against Queen Gedrin, who literally, again, wants to destroy the world and rule over the husk of our planet. Yeah. So by through action, you can accomplish something. Because if all you have is a symbolic power that has no support behind it, has no people to believe in you. 
This, You've got nothing. I can't help but think of the Bezos and uh, Musk space race. Dick race to the space frontier. <laughs> and they don't care what the fuck they do to our planet in the process. They just want to get their dick up there. <laughs> better be careful how you phrase this. Musk will do it. <laughs> Musk will nut in space and claim it as a victory. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, again, this movie is deeply prophetic for our modern times. Yeah, it's true. I don't know how this ties in yet, but I feel like it does. So maybe you guys can help me suss it out. But I feel like the symbolism of the talisman can kind of tie into this part of our discussion. So let's talk about that and see if we can get there. Well, it's a powerful artifact that... Women can touch, but men are literally destroyed by wielding that has the ability to devastate our world, but also the power to rule? We do not know it destroys men. He's just gone. <laughs> okay. Wait, All there right. was a green skeleton. There was. It was for there, a split second. For a split Maybe it was second. just an x-ray. It could be a fate worse than death scenario. <laughs> he could be in a hell dimension. Oh, God. Or we can true. only hope. That's true. He could be in a paradise inside the talisman. True. Or in heavens. He's just gone. <laughs> He's, so. I don't know much of the cosmology of the Hyperborean world. Me neither. What's interesting is the talisman draws power from the light, which is usually portrayed as a, like a positive thing, and it is destroyed or shut off, its power is cut off, by being encased in darkness, um, which is interesting. It isn't just a destructive force, it's a creative force as well. It is described as having created the world. And it has the power to create other worlds as well. I feel like this is a, like, behind every powerful man is a more powerful woman, like, Im implication of the talisman. Maybe. It's a life giver. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know, obviously in actual biology, uh, at least two sexes are necessary, in most cases, to produce new life when it comes to human beings. But, you know, oftentimes in the popular imagination, women are put in the role of the carriers of new life. Yes, I took the talisman to be a symbol of feminine power. Exactly. I think it is kind of part of the anti-feminist message that feminine power will kill men. <laughs> That, that's my read on it. I don't know. I mean, if you look at the internet, uh, you will be led to believe that that is an accurate statement. But that comes from a place of fear of sharing power with women. Uh, it's called cooties. Ever heard of it? <laughs> I also don't know if the metaphor works perfectly if the light is the male essence that charges the talisman. So light is like semen. And, and the talisman is the egg. The womb. Kind of. So touching the talisman turns a man into pure semen. <laughs> which just gets sucked up into that thing. Well, no, it's the candlelight is the semen. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never look at candles the same way again. So when a man touches it, they get sucked into the... 
Hmm. So it's not a perfect metaphor. This is kind of a class struggle thing because feminine power is typically portrayed in a patriarchal society as something to be feared and hated. And this symbol in the talisman uh, portrays that. It's an example of that fear and hatred. People say, even the priestesses say, it's too powerful, it must be destroyed. Right. Internalized misogyny, if I ever heard it. (laughs) I mean, it's very much a truth about humans that we tend to participate in our own subjugation. Mm-hmm. We tend to reproduce the systems that disempower us. What happens psychologically, at least sometimes with that, from what I've learned, is that that can be a factor of somebody has gone through these struggles and traumas. They want them to be legitimized as having been worthwhile experiences to have. So they try to perpetuate the systems of constraints that make those things possible, those negative experiences possible, and to subjugate further generations, say, of women, because that legitimizes their own experiences and they won't have they don't have to have suffered for nothing. People don't want to believe that they have suffered for nothing. Right. So for example, you could use student loan forgiveness as a good example of this, where a lot of people argue against the idea of student loan forgiveness by saying, well, I had to struggle and work hard and slave away to pay off my student loans. Therefore, everyone else should have to suffer the same fate I've suffered and bust their asses and grind their fingers to the bone because I had to. Rather than seeing that, yes, maybe you've had to work hard and you've paid off your student loans. But for one, student loans are getting exponentially higher than they were in the past. And for two, if we forgave them and we encouraged people having a way out of poverty and without having to go into extreme debt, it would actually be better for everybody because you'd have more innovation. You'd have more people who can rise out of certain uh, cycles of poverty and, you know, I, I, I include in this, like, trade schools, college, whatever education you want to get that might further your ability to, like, earn a living or to just exist comfortably. Or your follow your dreams or... Yeah, exactly. Your or, own, yeah. Your art, own goals. If you want to pursue art because, you know, people need creative things in their lives. And it's nice to have movies and books and music. But going back to the idea of loan forgiveness, I think that it's this idea that people who have, say, in your scenario, they've paid off their loans, whatever strange hypothetical scenario that might look like. Um, (laughs) Then this imaginary fantasy world where people can actually pay off their debts. If somebody has managed to do that and they're against loan forgiveness, I think it is that they're worried that, oh, my own struggles, other people should have to go through the same struggles because then if they don't, then what was I suffering for? Right. They have to fight. We all need meaning behind our experiences. Yeah. It helps us to have an easy way to categorize the things we go through. But there is a way to find meaning without perpetuating trauma and And perpetuating 
negative cycles like poverty onto everybody else. Yes. And part of the trick is seeing yourself as a member of a community with the common people around you. Yeah. And not seeing yourself as somehow better than other people who are suffering in poverty because so many people are basically living in poverty and pretending that they're not. So many people erroneously look to the wealthy and the uber rich as the example of what they should attain rather than camaraderie with their fellow workers. Comrades. Yeah. The only person you should compare yourself to is yourself. Thanks, Red Sonia. <laughs> Guys, this movie was a lot smarter than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I feel like we've covered a lot of the big points in the movie. Do you guys want to head to the smithy? Sounds good. Away we go! Welcome to the smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. Chelsea, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from one to ten swords? Yes, I do. Yeah, I'm going to go with an epic feature and go ahead and just praise that this movie exists with a strong female protagonist that doesn't need to be legitimized by her relationship to men. So I think in the end, even though... It's got some sussy elements. It's a pretty feminist movie overall, at least by the standards of the 1980s. Gotta give it that. Yeah. Gotta think about it in the time that it was made. And um, I'm just happy that she's a strong female character that doesn't... She just is who she is, and she doesn't go around kowtowing to men trying to fit into their expectations of her or worry about if they like her or not. And it was very refreshing to see that. And there are so many movies today that don't accomplish that. True. So I think that we have yet to see this idea fully developed for a modern audience. I think that it, it never really got a chance to really develop. Yeah, sadly, this movie was a commercial failure. Yeah, but not in our hearts. No, not in our hearts. I'm going to give this movie an 8 out of 10 swords. Not that it was the best story ever. It's actually kind of a simple plot. But for all of the innovations they had, even though it's cl not like clear messaging. Sure. In terms of the message, it might have gotten like a lower score, but I'm going to give it the 8 for, yeah, the the feminist icon, Red Sonia, uh, that we got and that is immortalized in film. All right. Very nice. And it's going to be rebooted, we know, with a new movie coming out in a couple years. Which we'll be talking about as soon as it happens. Yeah, that's right. We'll be there in our plague suits, watching <laughs> the movie from the Apocalypse Movie Theater. There you go. We'll call it The Red Knight. <laughs> I'd so, watch it. That Me was too. a short and sweet review, but that's how I feel about it. Very nice. Great. All right, Jack, how about you? 
Do you want to give us your epic moment or feature and then your rating from one to ten swords? Well, surely I do. <laughs> well, my epic moment of feature has to be the relationship between Prince Tarn and Falcon. Oh, interesting. I really liked their back and forths. The way Prince Tarn would belittle Falcon, but Falcon was... Not that that was what I actually liked about it. That was just a gag. <laughs> Falcon is a really interesting character. We touched on him a little bit. He reminds Agreed. me a lot of Uncle Iroh from the last oh. Airbender series. Oh, very nice. My favorite character in Airbender and probably my favorite character in this film. Oh, Be he's yeah. a bit older. He has the physique of someone who enjoys themselves. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's a sort of a jolly figure, and he is stressed, but only so much as he and the prince are in a bad spot in life yes. at the beginning of this film. They're, they've come on some hardships. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, he's stressed out. The kingdom is in shambles. There's no one to protect the kid that he cares for but himself. Yeah. And the world is going to be destroyed unless they do something about it. So, of course, he's a little worried at times. Yeah. But he's really understanding, and he seems like the wisdom character in the group. He sees the way that people are behind the mask. And that's like what we were saying about the prince. He has this facade of rulership, but Falcon always sees through it. He's like, this is a good kid. He's gonna, he's my prince. And one day he's gonna be my king. He's just, he's not there quite yet. He yeah. sees the potential and the goodness in him. And that's what he works for, right? Nice. And Sonya's a few times is like, why don't you just like whip his ass, <laughs> right? And Falcon is like, no, if you're going to kick someone's ass, do it to me, right? Don't harm him, right? He's yeah. just a kid. Yeah, exactly. And he goes into danger for the prince a lot. He provides for him. And the prince... He does, he, you know, he belittles Falcon, but they have a good relationship still, I think. It's something that will develop in a better way over time. I see hope for it. And so I thought that was really sweet. And, you know... He, he seems like almost like a basically a father figure to Tarn. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I liked it. I thought it was I thought it was nice not to take people at face value was one of the things they represented. Right? And uh, I just like that. I thought that was great. Nice. And when it comes to the movie as a whole, I'm going to give it 7 out of 10 swords. Okay. The reason is, uh, there were some long fight scenes. Mm-hmm. There was a fight scene in particular with a mechanical dragon, which was cool, but it lasted quite some time. Yeah. There were two yeah. moments during that scene where I was like, oh, it's still gone. Oh, another twist. It's still happening, right? Yeah. And just, like, the action was good. They were all talented, choreographed fights, but it, they just went on a little bit, and after a certain amount of time, they stopped being a spectacle and stopped providing to the story. I would have liked to know a little bit more about what the talisman was actually capable of. You can say the word power 500 times. It doesn't give it meaning, <laughs> right? Yeah. In fact, it takes away from the meaning at that point. Yeah. But I liked, I think, every character. And 
It was very fun to watch. This is a movie I am looking forward to watching again in the future and nice. sharing with my friends. So, yeah, 7 out of 10. Nice. That's Just, solid. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. What about you, Jamie? What is your epic moment or feature and your rating out of 1 to 10 swords? Yes, please tell us, Jamie. Well, I'm glad you guys asked. My epic moment is actually the ridiculous fight scene against the metal, uh, yeah, the mechanical dragon, yeah, <laughs> which absolutely goes on for too long and is mostly just Arnold Schwarzenegger and then Brigitte Nielsen riding this dragon around a pool yeah. of water. But here's the thing: you guys know me; I love great movie sets. This is a great movie set. Filled with water, stony cliffs, such an epic set piece moment. Must have cost a fortune doing these shots in the water. But, you know, a fun pool day for the actors, I hope. Hopefully not too stressful. Uh, it looked like really cold water. You could see the goosebumps on their skin. Okay, well, yeah, I have no idea what the shooting of this scene was like, but it looked like it was probably kind of fun to yeah. ride the mechanical dragon around the pool. I did not consider how much that scene definitely cost. They totally squeezed it for screen time. Yeah. This scene goes on for way too long. Again, a lot of it is just <laughs> two actors riding around in a pool in circles. And you're like, wow, they're going to do another time around, huh? Before they cut to something else. But man, it was fun. And it looked like fun to me. I would have liked to have been in the pool riding the dragon. That's all I'm saying. Definitely. Well, they can't run because of their just devastating bloodlust. True. Or oil lust if you're fighting a mechanical dragon, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just, this scene, even though I was totally aware of it going on for way too long, I thought it was a lot of fun. So that's my pick. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. And as far as the rating goes, I think I'm going to give this one seven swords. All right. It's a simple plot, like Chelsea said. There are some slow moments. There are some moments that I just don't like overall, like the unnecessary courtship of violence between Kalidor and Sonya. Yeah, that was pretty cringe. But overall, again, mad props to Brigitte Nielsen. She fucking kills it. Mad props to Sandal Bergman. She is just living as Queen Gedrin. She and sells I, the hell out of that role. Absolutely. I think the performances were good. I think the sets were really nice. The action was impressive for the most part. I mean, when the scenes weren't dragging on for too long, the fight scenes are good. The choreography is good. A lot of effort. You can see, I feel like a lot of passion for this movie. And, you know, I don't think it gets the respect that it deserves. I think that this movie is a lot more fun and that there's, while there's some problematic elements, you can also have a more generous reading of this movie. And I don't think that it is unearned. I think there's a lot that we could take away from it that would benefit modern films. I think so. With female fronted characters. Yeah. Yeah. Letting, like, you know, this idea about letting strength just be, first off, like, physical and emotional and spiritual strength. Letting that just stand for itself. And then letting people's identities be, you know, what they want them to be. Mm -hmm. 
not having to like slot yourself into expectations. And I think there's right. a lot about what this movie is about at the end. It's not letting expectations from others inform how you're going to live your life. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And rising above trauma, mm-hmm. which Sonya learns to do throughout the film. Yeah, with the help of her friends. Maybe not perfect across the board, but, you know, neither are our lives. Yeah. Like, we don't ever 100% get it right every time. We have to fall down and learn some lessons and then get back up and try again. Yeah. Definitely. Another thing that would have been nice if they had elaborated on, the ghost that gives her sword fighting abilities. Yeah. What the fuck was that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know if that's from the comics or the stories or what. Because who, what, when, where, why, and how? <laughs> and Great questions. <laughs> I was, when I was pitching this movie to my friends, I told them about the ghost and didn't realize until afterwards that almost everything I said about the ghost was my headcanon. I was like, wait a minute. That's <laughs> wait, wait, what's, what's the story of the ghost from your headcanon? It was like, ah. Oh. I saw what happened to you, Sonia, and I sympathize because the queen destroyed my clan and I was the last of a, of a clan of great sword fighters and we pass our knowledge on to you. Now you're the sole adopted survivor of our clan. Take our sword fighting knowledge and slay the queen. God Avenge your family. Damn it, that would have been so cool. <laughs> yeah, that would have been better. Then vague ghost saying, do the thing, Sonya. Go do the thing. It was literally just like the ghost wandered up out of the forest and was like, whoa, you look pretty fucked up. I'm a ghost from a completely unrelated thing. Want a life of violence, kid? Oh, God. Boy, I've been waiting for that question. All right, well, on that note, I think that pretty much does it for us here on this episode of Swords and Satire. As always, thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed the show, maybe consider following us on social media. We're at Swords and Satire on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you give us a follow, then you can check out the movies we're watching every week, see some memes that we post, and just kind of check in with us and Maybe shoot us a message. Ask us some questions. Let us know what you thought about the movie. Yeah, give us your hot, hot takes. Woo! As we mentioned before, you can also support the show and your favorite podcasters by going over to (laughs) patreon.com slash swords and satire and pledging at one of our tiers for monthly contributions and join our patron community. You'd get exclusive content at every tier And you can vote on the movies we watch each month. That seems like a good value at any price. That's right. Yeah, very cool. But if you don't have a few extra bucks to toss your way to your favorite podcasters, tell your friends and family about Swords and Satire. If there's a movie you find interesting from our podcast, feel free to share it with them and you'll have something to talk about. Or you could listen to their episodes that we put forth and seem super knowledgeable watching the movies as though it is your first time. That's great. (laughs) If you do that, you're welcome. (laughs) Well, until next time, and I say this from the bottom of my Hyperborean heart, Hail Hail Crom!
Cheers. Oh, yeah.